praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. We appreciate your goodness and your mercy toward us in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that that anointing that was on us on Wednesday evening would be upon us today. I believe a word from heaven desires to be spoken to the congregation. And I pray, God, for that anointing that our ears would be open and that our eyes would see the Spirit of God working in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you concerning this subject, looking beyond the storm. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. I want you to look at that first verse for a moment. How do you know this morning that God has not constrained you to get in the boat where you are at this very moment? How do you know that God hasn't ordained as he did that day in Matthew 14 for his disciples to be in that boat. He told them to get in the boat. He constrained them, which was a command. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he had just finished feeding thousands, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. He wasn't with them. He was just sending them in the boat. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. For the wind was contrary. Samuel, like your life this morning? And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, which means immediately, Jesus spoke unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. What did that mean? He was simply saying, be of good courage and have confidence in me at this very moment. What moment? The moment of the storm. The moment of the storm. And he's saying the same thing to you this morning and to me. Have courage and confidence in my plan for you during this moment and this storm. Hmm. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter was the only one that had courage at that moment. Instead of tucking his head in the bow of the boat thinking, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. Peter stepped up. And when he was come out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was looking at the storm. He was not looking beyond the storm. That's just like me and you. 
We look at the storm and we don't look beyond the storm and we don't even see Jesus walking toward our boat and we throw our hands up in despair and we say, what's the use? No one cares. Where's God when I need him? Hmm. And immediately he sank, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, the wind's still blowing, folks. The rain's still coming in the boat. Jesus hasn't addressed the wind yet. He addresses the lack of faith in Peter's life when he says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Question, Peter. And when they were come into the ship, then the wind ceased. Hmm. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. What happened? Jesus addresses the fear and the lack of faith of the disciples before he addressed the storm in verse 31. Why would he do that? Why would he use it as a teaching moment? Why didn't he just calm the storm first and then talk about faith? But he didn't do that. He talked about lack of faith first and then he calmed the storm. In our present world, we, look, we seem to look solely upon the storms that are plaguing the earth. The pandemic, of course. The pandemic. Possible terrorism at any moment. Economic upheaval. Prevailing sin in society. Violence and bloodshed in the streets. Political upheaval. Family issues, work issues, health issues. All have an impact on our life. Looking at the storm only excites our fears and renders us incapable of faith and trust in God for our life and for our future. Focusing. Looking at the storm brings tunnel vision to your life. That's all people focus on. It's similar to looking at the engine light in your car on the dashboard and you keep looking at it as if it's going to go away magically or mysteriously. It's there. And you're focused on it. And a lot of times people can't get beyond the red light on the dashboard. The focus is narrow. And it's continual on the problem and on the storm. And we need to address our own fears and lack of faith before we tackle the great storms we see in the world. We need to deal with our fears. Because they're real. And we need to go to God with those fears. When the storm becomes boisterous, when the winds blow, contrary, when it looks like there's no help in sight. The Bible says in Luke 17 and 5, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. First things first. You're never going to get through the storm 
without faith. It'll consume you. It'll blow you away. It'll rain on you and you'll drown in your own boat and your own emotions and your own thoughts. Jesus addressed the lack of faith first before the wind ceased. It's important. I want to refer to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a great man of God by the name of Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now let's look at this. Look what it says here. In terms of our spiritual life, we have to build our ark like Noah did in his day by building the boat that his family would be saved. Amen. It says by faith, and that simply means having trust and confidence in God. Amen. That's it. Trusting God for where you are right now. Because like I said, how do you know that God has not constrained you to be in this boat? How do you know he's not ordained for you to be in this storm right now? You don't. We say, but all things work together for good. But all things, even what you're involved in right now, all things, not a few things, not pick and choose, not some buffet, but all things work together for your good. And I know it's hard to see sometimes because of our humanity. But I have to go by the word. I can't go by emotion. I have to go by the word of God. Emotion will deceive me. Emotion will trick me. Emotion will take me back out to that world. But the word of God is surefoot. The word of God is grounded and settled in my heart. And that's what I'm going to go by. Even when it looks bad. He was warned. Which means there was a conversation between God and Noah. God speaking to him. God admonishing him. God had a conversation with Noah. And he desires to have a conversation with us. Amen. Listen, this world that Noah lived in was not a good world. It was just as sick and sinful and heretical and blasphemous as our world today. Some people think there was only a few people, you know, walking around the earth. That day. There was millions of people. This was society. And God speaks to this man who moved with fear. And this is important in the last day. To act cautiously, watchfully, to be aware and to reverence and stand in awe carefully and surely. This is what it means. It means to take with the hand and lay hold of. I'll explain to you. To take up upon oneself to receive the assignment and commit to the fulfillment of that assignment. Noah took it in his hand. He didn't have to receive the assignment. He could have said to God, I'm not building a boat. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It's so out of the box, no one's going to believe this. But Noah moved with fear. And he was cautious. And what does it say? He prepared an ark. He furnished it. He equipped it. He made it ready. He constructed and erected that boat 
with the idea of adorning it and equipping it with all things necessary. This is what God is saying to us. Build your ark. Build your spiritual ark. And put everything in there that needs to be in there. Put your physical stuff in there. Put your emotional stuff. Put put everything in there that needs to be in there. Don't leave anything out. Because God's warning us. And He's speaking to us. And He's telling us. And He'll lead us and guide us every step of the way if we're careful to listen. What did He prepare for? For the saving of His house. You know what that meant? Deliverance. Preservation. Safety. Salvation. Deliverance, it means in the Hebrew, from the molestation of enemies. And you want to know something, friends? There was gangs and there was mob mentality in the days of Noah. Just like it was in the book of Acts. There were mobs that beat the disciples. There were mobs that threw them out of cities. It's no different, my friend, than Portland. It's no different than Seattle. This is not new, something new. All this nonsense going on in the streets. This is going back to the book of Genesis. If you look at it very carefully. And what happened? The Bible says when he was preparing that ark, he became an heir of righteousness, but he condemned the world. And what does it mean to condemn the world? By his good example... He showed people their wickedness. And that wickedness was more evident by him living the life that he lived before God. He separated himself. And by doing that, he pronounced an opinion. Listen, an opinion concerning right and wrong. People are afraid to have an opinion anymore about right and wrong. I'm not a closet Christian. I'm not a closet political person. People are afraid to say, I'm going to vote for the president, Trump. I'm not. For the sole reason, he's against killing babies. If nothing else, I'll vote for him. Noah showed the difference between evil and righteousness in society. And they hated him for it. Make no mistake about it. He wasn't invited to parties. He wasn't invited to their stuff. I'll keep it that way. He wasn't invited to that. His sons, his sons' wives, and his wife separated and said, we have work to do. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 in the message version says this. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. Stupidest thing you can ever think of. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. The result? His family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. And as a result, Noah became intimate with God. He was shut up with God for 120 years. And he was shut up with God for a year and 10 days in that boat. He was shut up with God because God had a conversation with Noah and God wants to have a conversation with you and me. And people are afraid of that conversation because it might cost them. They might have to change. 
they may have to separate from the world. Can you say amen? amen. The Bible says concerning those that were disobedient in 1 Peter 3.20, when once the long-suffering on God waited in the days of Noah. God waited while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. They were saved by water and the water. I said they were saved by the water, by water, in the water. But they were in the boat. Oh yeah, there was water, my friends. There was water. The Bible said in 2 Peter 2.5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. It was an ungodly society. And we think that this is a new invention of what we've seen in the streets today. This is nothing new, my friend. Sin began in the Garden of Eden when there was a disobedience between Adam and Eve. Luke 17, 26. A somber note for today. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Business as usual. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What's going to take take to wake people up in America? When I looked out the window this morning, I saw the beautiful sun. If you go to the book of Genesis, the night before in Sodom and Gomorrah, People were doing their stupid stuff. And if you read the words, and in the morning when the sun came up, they didn't know the night before. They didn't know that the next morning, fire and brimstone would rain from heaven. You see, they were at ease in Zion. I got my plans. We had a party last night, man. We shook it up. We danced. We did it. We, we, did, we did everything. We did everything imaginable that was sinful. And I think I'll sleep in tomorrow. That's right. They slept in forever. Because when the sun rose, the fire and brims the next morning, people think That's, that can't happen. That, that, that can't happen. It does. It happens to young and old. It happens to nations that were once vibrant Christian nations now are not Christian nations any longer. But Satan rules over nations because we've abdicated our role as Christians in certain countries. And if we're not careful... And if we ab- ab- uh, take our role as Christians in America and advocate and say, hey, what's the use? Eat, drink, and be merry. We will wake up to a land of darkness and not a land of light. That's right. yeah. 
People say, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I don't care. You better. Because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. And you don't know what's coming the next day. Because the sun will come up and who knows that judgment may fall. Let's look at the ark. In the book of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 3, Moses' mother, when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. What did she do? She heard from God like Noah did. She was warned by God, and she prepared an ark as the mother of Moses. For his safety. And placed him in that river. Having true trust and confidence in God. That somehow that child would be okay. That's the stupidest thing that you could ever think of as a human being. To do that. How did it work out? Pharaoh's daughter found the baby. And Moses' sister ran down there. Because it was all ordained. Constrained. And she needed someone to breastfeed the baby. And the little girl says, I know somebody. Who? My mama. Her mama got paid for breastfeeding her own baby. Isn't God good? I said, isn't God wonderful? Isn't God like out of the box? Come on. Who can do this stuff? Who can figure this out? When, When Moses' mother put him in that ark, Uh, For safety. She had no idea. But she knew this. I could trust God. And I have confidence in God. Listen, my friend. You might be going through a terrible storm right now. An upheaval in your life, in your home, your family, whatever it may be. But we can trust God. And we can have confidence in God and his plan because God does not wink at what you're going through. He sees every detail of your life. And like I said before, how do you know he hasn't told you to get in this boat and you don't even know that you're in the boat? You don't even know he's told you that, but you're in it. Because all things work together for good. Genesis 6.13, and God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. What a sad commentary. God says, I'm closing the door. I can't take it no more. What does he say? For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What a sad commentary. God who created men and women and boys and girls is now pronouncing judgment, a flood upon the earth. And he's speaking to Noah and he's telling him as a friend of God, he says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Inside and out. What is pitch? It's tar or asphalt as a covering. It means to coat over or cover. Pitched was used to keep out water that could damage or sink the boat and kill the occupants. Here's a question. Do we have enough pitch in our homes and upon our children To keep out that which is not supposed to come in. Mm. Mm. There are many evil influences we are to guard against. Because they desire to infiltrate our homes with spiritual poison and pollution. We must know what's taking place in our homes. 
especially among our children, take nothing for granted. I just love when I hear a kid say, you can't come in my room, it's private. Want to know something, kid? When you move out of this house and you get your own house and your own room, you can have your private room. But until then, if I suspect anything, I'll go through your underwear drawer, I'll go through your shirt drawer, your sock drawer, I'll go through your closets, under your bed, under your mattress. Because you know why? Because mom and dad are the boss. And we pay the bills here. And you eat at our table and sleep in the bed that we provide for you. When you desire you want privacy, here's a luggage. Here's a bag. Pack it up and go somewhere else to find privacy. While you're in this house, this is the way we do business. How many parents have the courage and the guts to say that to a kid? But I'll run away. Honey, you've already run away in your heart. You've already run away in your spirit. So go ahead. Let me know how you make it. Hop on a train. Go down to the bus station and get a ticket and go to California. Let me know how you make it. Because your best thinking got you where you are right now. And you're not that smart. And your game is not that tight. But you're welcome to leave. Here's your luggage. You can pack everything you got. Don't you sass me. Don't you talk back to me. Don't you go in your room and close your door and give me the silent treatment like I don't exist. Because this is my house. And I pay the bills here. That's why the electric is on. That's why the water comes through the faucet. And that's why you can take a shower. That sounds pretty harsh, Pastor. No, it's not. It's biblical. A wise son will listen. A wise daughter, but a foolish one. And sometimes you've got to let the foolish go. And Lord, it's hard to let the foolish go. But it's like talking to the wall. The Bible says in Genesis 6.16, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof, with lower second and third story shalt thou make it. Light. Do we have enough light coming through the window of our ark? Do we? Do we have enough light to illuminate our spirit this morning? Do our children know this light? What is your plan to bring light to your family? Is the Bible referenced and read in your home? Are the children familiar with the word of God? Are they familiar with John 8, 12? Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You can't possibly have light if you're listening to stupid music. You can't have light. All you're doing is piping in the demonic into your spirit. Millions of young people. Listen, I've been a pastor for a long time. How many parents have come to me personally and said, Pastor, what happened to my kid? Yeah, how old is your kid? 12, 13? 
I said, I want you to check something out. Has his taste in music changed? Yeah. There's your answer. Read the words. And we thought years ago, 20, 30 years ago, the words were bad. Remember? We thought 20, 30 years ago, boy, we don't like it. Are you listening to that? You don't listen to that no more. That's a walk in the park. That's a walk in the park with a birthday hat on top of your head. To what they're listening to now. It's abominable. But we allow it. Because you know what? Johnny might get mad. Johnny might run away. Infiltration. Subtle infiltration of the demonic into our homes. And we're not even aware of it because we're too busy with life. God is that light. It's his spiritual truth and knowledge. That's what the light is. It gives us power to understand and live a moral and ethical life. The opposite of truth is darkness, which is ignorance of divine things that leads to evil and wicked behavior. Some people just want to stay in darkness. They don't want light. See, darkness is blindness that leads to immorality and ungodliness consequently resulting in hellfires of damnation if people aren't careful. Who needs light? Who needs to hear that preacher? Who needs to go to church? I'm so sick of it. It's okay. You'll be looking for the church one of these days, my friend. Kids can't wait to get out of high school. Statistics and studies show us they leave the church. Go ahead. Leave God. Leave your parents. Leave the house of the Lord. Leave the word of God behind. You won't prosper biblically. You'll fail. You'll become immoral. And you'll wake up to a nightmare one day and you'll say, how did I get here? What did I do wrong? I'm going to tell you what you did wrong. You didn't follow the light. Because the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. Genesis 6.16 says, And the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof. Do we have access to the door? As Jesus spoke in John 10 and 9, to go in and out, to be unscathed from the world and find pasture for our souls? Yes, we do. In John 10 and 9, it says, I am the door, Jesus said. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I want spiritual Kentucky bluegrass to eat. I said I want spiritual Kentucky bluegrass to eat that the thoroughbreds eat. The door is an entrance. It's a passageway that provides spiritual nourishment and guidance for our lives. And people aren't making themselves available to that door. People aren't going in 
And Jesus is standing with outstretched arms like he did in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. And he's begging people to come through the door, come through the door, come through the door. Genesis 7-1, the first invitation, come into the ark. I'm too busy for that. Going to church is square, man. Listening to the preacher is square, man. You'll pray for a preacher one of these days when I'm gone. (laughs) The door is Jesus. And we can enter in at any moment of time, regardless of the situation, and receive his wisdom and knowledge concerning anything we are experiencing. It's the place of learning. It's the place of discovery. It's the place of opportunity to learn to do things that are pleasing to God. Is that door being utilized in your life and in your family? Are you growing and maturing as a Christian as you graze in the pasture of the Lord? Noah went through that door and he got instructions. Moses' mother went through that door and she got instructions. Timothy's mother and grandmother went through that door and got instructions to raise a son in the admonition of the Lord. No dad. And John went through that door in the Isle of Patmos and he saw the world to come. What you're living in right now. Imagine that. Imagine what God has for you behind that door this morning. Imagine the learning, the discovery, the opportunities, the gifts, the blessings. (laughs) It's like Christmas every day. And people don't avail themselves to it. Do you have enough salt? Do we have enough salt in our boat to preserve that which needs to be preserved? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying that to you. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. What is salt? Salt with which food is seasoned and, and, and sacrifices are sprinkled. Salt, which protects food from putrefaction and preserves it unchanged. The salt is the wisdom and the grace and the knowledge exhibited in our speech to give hope to people that are losing hope in this world at this present moment. Salt. Noah had to fight and war a great warfare in the day that he lived and in the years that he was building that boat. Can't you see it? You're in your backyard where you live at your house. And God tells you to prepare an ark to go get some gopher wood. And the neighbors are looking out their window and they're saying, what what are are they doing now there? Them people, them people, them, them Bible people, them Christians. Well, what, are they, what are they doing? Not bothering you. 
Not asking you for gold for wood. Not asking you for nothing. He started building. Do you think the crowds did not come to see what he was doing? Wouldn't the crowd come to your house if you were building a boat in your backyard and you told people you heard from God and that God told you to build an ark as big as an ocean liner? Yes. If you look at the cubits and the measurements, it's how they build ocean liners today because God is a very smart God. He knows how to build a boat. He knows how to put it in the water. And he knows how to make it rain. Oh, they must have come by the droves, by the multitudes. Look at this nuthead. Now you got your kids involved. And their wives. It's a wonder they found three wives in a wicked society. It's possible. It's possible. And your wife, she goes along with this? Are you serious? We'll be back tomorrow to harass you, to persecute you. And Noah, being a man of righteousness, didn't have to say one word because his behavior showed their evil in their life. Listen, Paul admonished Timothy to war a great warfare in the day he lived. He was given a charge and a command by Paul the Apostle to do this for himself, for his family, and for his friends. You're living in a day of great warfare. I'm sure you know that as a Christian. It says in 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Holding faith, and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning their faith, have made shipwreck. You're going to see that in the last day. You're going to see people shipwreck. You're going to see people wash up on the shore with their boat broken into a million pieces. Their faith vanished. Their trust and confidence in God expired. He charged him, he commanded him a direct order. To commit. Commit yourself. Like making a deposit in the bank. Commit it. That you might minus a good warfare. A good war. A minus war. What does it mean? It means it's a military term. To lead soldiers to war or to battle. To do military duty. To be on active service. To be a soldier ready to fight and stand against evil and injustice for what is right, against what is wrong. We're in that day where people are calling evil good and we have to correct it and say no. Beating a man half to death in the street is not a good thing. Burning down someone's building and looting their business is not a good thing. This is not a peaceful protest. This is anarchy. This is tyranny in the streets. But yet those who could speak against it don't. 
And those who do get persecuted and called names because they're saying that this evil is not of God, but of the devil. It's an upside-down world, my friends. And our children are growing up in it. And if we don't share the light with them, they will eventually go into darkness. What does he say to Timothy? That you might minus the war, a good warfare, an excellent warfare, surpassing, a useful warfare, commendable, admirable, a warfare, a campaign, military service for the Lord, praying, interceding, seeking, learning, going through the door of opportunity and knowledge and wisdom, sharing it with people as the Lord leads you. Paul likens his contest with the difficulties that oppose him in the discharge of his apostolic duties as warfare. This is warfare. When you preach, it's warfare. Because some will not like it. Some will shake it off lightly. Some will not even listen. Because it's too threatening. Because the admonition of today is, I don't want to hear it. What I don't know won't hurt me. It will. Eventually. In 1 Timothy 1.19 it says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. What is God saying? Hold your faith in your hand. Hold your trust and confidence in God in your hand. Let it possess your mind. That it would come against those alarming, agitating emotions that try to bring you down. It's likened to marriage. When God says, hold your faith and your trust and confidence in Him, it's like two people coming together, agreeing. Agreeing with God, I'm going to hold on. The storm is here. The boat is being blown. The sails are being ripped and torn. My life is in upheaval. My family's a mess. But yet, God, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And how can I say that? Because God, for all these years, look at your resume with God. You brought me through thick and thin, through hell and high water, through success and failure, through trial and tribulations, through valleys and mountaintops. You brought me through all of it, God. And today I still stand warfaring against the powers of evil. Give yourself some credit, my friends. Give yourself some praise. Because not everybody is standing this morning. Because they're hunkered down in their boat with their hands over their head as the waters batter their boat. Jesus said, the winds are going to come and the rains are going to fall. But the house that's built upon the rock, it will stand. He didn't say the winds weren't coming. He didn't say the storm wasn't coming. He didn't say the floods weren't coming. The rain wasn't coming. It's coming. Yes. And for some, it's here. But that's okay. Because he's here. I remind you. He was in the mountain praying. When he told the disciples to get into the boat, he knew full well the storm was coming. He was God. 
But he started walking toward that boat at the opportune time. When they thought, we're going to drown. When you thought, this is the end. This is the death blow. I'm on the ground now. And the referee is counting. And you wait for the referee to go. Fight is over. Winner in this corner. No. No, the righteous man might fall down seven times, but God will pick him up, praise God, with the right hand of fellowship, and you'll get back up, my friend, and you'll fight, and you'll spar, and you'll circle left, and sting like a bee, and float like a butterfly in that boxing ring. Praise God, because God is with the church. God is with the boat. God is in the storm, and God will make the transition, praise God, from winds to peace. Having a good conscience. That's important. Knowing the difference between what is morally good and bad. <laughs> embracing, embracing one and condemning the other. Some have put away their faith. You've seen it. They've pushed it away. They've repelled. They've rebelled. They've driven away concerning their faith. And the Bible said they've made themselves shipwreck, which is ruin, a wreckage, a collapse, a life of shambles. It doesn't have to be that way. But they choose it. Because they refuse the light. They refuse the door. They refuse the pitch that God wants to put on the inside of them to insulate them from the infiltration that's coming from the outside. Jude put it well when he said, Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You know what that's saying? That God is able, that God is capable, and that God is willing to go to the ends of the earth for you, your family, and for your church. To keep you. That means to guard you. To watch you. Like an officer guards a prison. Prisoner. God says, I want to guard you. He says, I have my eye upon you. That's what that word keep means in Jude 24. Lest you escape. He wants to hold on to you. you got to really wiggle to get away from the arms of God. And when you do, you're in total rebellion. Because God is trying to hold you tight. But he's a gentleman. If you want to go, he'll say, like the prodigal son. Okay. Go ahead. He guards you to keep you safe. Safe from the world. Safe from the elements, to protect you from being despoiled, and to keep you from being snatched away. To preserve you unimpaired, and to guard you from being lost or perishing eternally. He wants to keep us from falling. What does that mean? That we don't stumble. That we stand firm, exempt from falling. 
exempt from error, exempt from sin, to keep us from falling into misery. People are living miserable and wretched lives. You look at people and you say, why? Why are you doing this to yourself? You're self-destructing. But too busy for God. See the preacher coming. Time to book it. Don't want to hear that. Don't need that preacher. But look at you. And look at the many others that were before you. Look at the funerals. Look at the coffins. Look at the grandmothers weeping and shaking the casket, wondering why the 15-year-old son is dead of a bullet wound in the head, dead of an overdose. Why? They say, why? Tell me, preacher. You know my response? Go ask that knucklehead there in the corner there who supplied him. Go ask that knucklehead who took him into the bathroom at school and turned him on. Go talk to him. He's not in the coffin. But your grandsons. What a day of desolation in America. We're not even talking about drug overdose anymore. We're not talking about now 25 veterans a day committing suicide, not 22 anymore. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the pandemic. Like it's the bubonic plague. That's right. Like it's the end of the world. That's right. More people died of the flu than of this. There was no lockdown. Schools were open. You went to the restaurant and you ate. You went to the pizza place. You went to the movie theater. You went to the gymnasium to work out. No one said, hey, you can't come in here. You know, the flu's going around. What happened? Oh, we all know what happened. We all know what happened. Let's get that guy out of the White House. He's bad news. We can't tame him. He don't listen to us. He's not supposed to. He's supposed to listen to the American people who he represents. Let me close. I want to read some verses to you that describe you and pertain to you this morning. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That worketh in you. Amen. 2 Timothy 4.18 And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Preserve you. 2 Corinthians 4.14 Knowing that knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also, praise God, by Jesus, and shall preserve us with you. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians eleven two. Paul said this to the church, for I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's the pastor talking to the church. 
That's Paul talking to the church. That's me talking to the church. Ephesians 5.27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's you. Colossians 1.22, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's you. Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we, we may present every man, that's you, perfect in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Looking beyond the storm and not looking at the storm. And if you look far enough into the future you'll begin to see the lights of that city hear me and you begin to hear the music of the angels and you'll be beginning to hear well done thou good and faithful servant enter into the joys of the Lord that's you this is just a small portion of what we have to go through, saints of God. This is just a blurb, a moment of time in your life that we have to experience. But we can look forward, looking beyond the storm to the eternal shores of God. And see that city that John saw in the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and verse 1. He said, and I saw that city coming down, that new Jerusalem. And the light of that city will be Jesus. Amen. Hold on, my friend. Hold on as we pray for one another. And whatever storm that you may be experiencing right now, whatever it may be, hold on. Don't give up. Your trust, your confidence, and your courage in Him, Jesus. He's walking toward your boat this morning. And He's reassembling your sails that have been torn. And He's already bailed out the water that's in the boat. And He's already spoken. Peace, be still. And the winds let us pray. Father, we thank you. Looking beyond the storm this morning. And we're capable of that in faith and in our trust and confidence in you. And only you, Lord, can we do that. Help us not to look at the boisterous sea, 
Help us not to look at the winds that are blowing vehemently against us. But help us to be sure-footed and steadfast in the Lord. That we would hold our composure and say in the name of Jesus, I will fight a mighty war. I will fight a good warfare against the powers of evil as I prepare the ark that God has told me to prepare for the saving of my house and for the souls that will enter in. We bless your name, God, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.